of you. Okay, now I'm thinking, this is my interpretation, this is a little sneaky, I'm thinking. I'll give you an example of this. Like with Reina, she is very weary of our kids and video game addiction. Very weary of that. And uh, I have, you know, a favorite pastime of playing some video games in my free time. So let's say I come up to Reina, and I say, Reina, <clears throat> I want to get this game. It's called Plant vs. Zombies. It's only a buck. How about it? And she would undoubtedly say, no, very good. Now, blah, 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 what if I went up to Reina and said, Reina, I'm going to ask you something, and I'm pretty clear, I'm pretty sure you're going to say no. But would you just think about it first? Plants vs. Zombies, $1, what do you say? What do you think she would say? Still no, right. But she would pause for five seconds before she said no, right? Now, there's something like that going on here where, where James and John is like, they're giving a preface to this big request, right? So get ready, Jesus, for this big request, and I'm going to set things up so that it's more likely that you will say yes. So they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is not a big point, but I just want you to repeat that and say that with me. What do you want me to do for you? Not a big point, but in the next narrative passage, there's another person with a need, and guess what Jesus says? The same thing. So my point is that Jesus would go around and he would say, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe it's not a bad thing for you guys to remember that line and repeat often. You know, right? Like, men, honey, what can I do for you? How can I help? Not a bad line, right? <clears throat> and that's what Jesus would go around saying. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? How can I help? Okay, let's go to the next verse. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. All right, um, so <laughs> James and John are in this passage, they say, in your glory. And when they say, in your glory, they say, when Jesus, when you become the king of Israel, in your glory, right? Will you grant to us the, the place at your left hand and the place at your, your, your right? Actually, it's more right and left. Now, these are the greatest positions of glory and honor. So we want the first two highest positions next to you when you become king. Is that okay? Now, in our day, in our time, it's like, okay, the highest position in the land would be president, and the next two highest positions would be chief of staff and vice president, right? Actually, vice president doesn't get a lot of glory, but, but vice president, right? So James is like, I want to be chief of staff, and my younger brother wants to be vice president. How about it? Now, listen, I've, I've heard a lot of messages on this passage, and a lot of commentators and preachers will give James and John a really hard time for this. Because in the passage before, Jesus was talking about his imminent doom of being tortured to death. 
Okay, these are my closest friends. I'm telling you I'm about to be tortured to death. And the next thing that comes out of your mouth is, oh, by the way, we want the two highest positions when you become king, right? I mean, this is a little bit insulting, a little bit of betrayal. But here's the thing. I actually have have thought a lot about this for the whole week. And I actually think that we should give James and John a break. And I think we should give them a break because you know that 10 other disciples, they were actually thinking the same thing and that's why they were indignant and you'll find that out later in the story. But at least James and John were honest about what was inside their heart, right? At least they just came out and said it. And it doesn't seem from the flow of the scripture that Jesus rebukes them necessarily for going what's inside their hearts. He just kind of redirects it. But clearly, they're letting what's inside be known. And what they want is ultimate glory. What they want is these two positions where we will be important and we will matter. We, we, want, we want status. <clears throat> and then Jesus says, notice how he responds in verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. You do not. I, I feel like he was saying like, You guys have no idea what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, the cup that Jesus is talking about, it's not like a cup of orange juice, right? The, The cup that he's talking about is a cup of God's divine wrath. Now, you get this from the Old Testament, you get this from the prophets and the Psalms, but the cup is an image of God's divine wrath, of wrath, divine wrath. And the baptism is not like the baptism we had two weeks ago when Vincent was baptized. It's a baptism in the Psalm, it's this deluge of trouble, trouble and sorrow and divine wrath. Okay, so let's put this together. These two come up to Jesus. They're being honest about what's in their heart. They say, Jesus, when you get in glory, when you're king, we want the two highest positions in the land. How about it? And Jesus says, oh, you have no idea what you're asking for. Let me tell you that the road to glory is paved with suffering and servanthood. Now, let me repeat that. This is really, really huge. The road to glory is paved with suffering and servanthood. The the servanthood, not so much right here, but you'll see this later on as we keep on reading. Now, what is Jesus saying? There is a crown. There is a crown. But you have to go through the the cross first. There is glory. There is wonderful glory. But you have to go through suffering first. If there's no suffering, there's no glory. If there's no cross, there's no crown. But this is the path towards glory. Raina and I are, are in this uh, position because school's starting. And we have one of our sons, I won't tell you which one, but he's not a very big person. And uh, when he was a little bit younger, he went to the doctor, and they gave him a diagnosis called failure to thrive, and that kind of freaked Raina and I out. Failure to thrive, we want our kids to thrive, and so we were thinking of all these strategies to feed them vegetables and meats, and you know, we, Raina and I read this book about how the French do it, and we're like, okay, let's do it like the French, you know? And we're, all these strategies to fatten our kid up, and then the doctor said, how tall is his father? 
Oh, his dad? And then the doctor said, well, then I guess he's not horribly malnourished. He's really just growing to the size of his father. Okay? Okay, but here, listen, here's the thing. We were freaking out because he's going into kindergarten. And you, you remember what it was like in kindergarten? The biggest kid who's a bully picks on who? The smallest kid, right? One time we were in the playground and there was a really small kid and he was pointing to one of my sons and going, he's really small. And he kept on saying that he's really small. And you know, our hearts went out to our son and we wanted to tell that kid, you know, you're small too, you little punk, because he was just one millimeter taller than Christopher. I, I said his name. Oh, now you know which one it is. Okay, it wasn't a secret. And so Ray and I are thinking, you know what we got to do? We got we to gotta sign off for, like, karate. You know, and then he'd be like, call him small again, and he will bring you to your knees, you know? Again, that's not very Christian. We're not going to do that. But we were thinking about it, at least just for self-defense. But here's the thing. We're freaked out. Why? Because we want a suffer-free zone around our kids. You know, we want like a, a cone, right? <laughs> like a suffer-free zone around our kids. We don't want our kids to suffer. No, we want to give them as much comfort and safety as possible, right? That's basically what our general disposition towards our kids. And then Jesus comes to us and says, oh, by the way, the path, the road towards glory is through suffering, it's through suffering. And one time, Raina and I were, again, we were like freaking out together, and I said, hold on, wait, wait a second, Raina. You know something? If I really am honest with myself, when I was young, I came to Christ, but you know what really precipitated it? What precipitated it was that my father died. I had this gaping hole in my heart. I was suffering and in pain, and then I found the Savior. And I'm like, hold it. Let's look at your life, Raina. Like, your family came to Christ. But wasn't it because there is this root of suffering and pain that brought them on their knees to the Savior? So if, if that's what happened to us, why would it be different for our kids? Right? And if it's not going to be different for our kids, why would it be different for anyone here in this room? This is the path. This is the way to glory. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized with? And then Jesus goes, yes, you will. And Christian Lame Church, yes, you will. This is the path forward. Now, I know that some of you right now are in a fair amount of pain. One of you said to me recently, these have been the worst two years of my life. Some of you are running ragged in life. Because you're trying to be faithful to Jesus, faithful in your church, faithful to your family, faithful at work. You have zero margin. You have no time for you. It's like your life is one big suffering. And Jesus says, yeah, actually, that is the path towards glory. It is paved with suffering. There is no crown without the cross. And Jesus just gives it to them straight. And I love how he just gives it to them straight. Now they say to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink. 
oh yeah, it will happen to you. If you're really serious about following me, it will happen to you. And with, with the baptism with which I am baptized, oh, you will be baptized because yes, trouble is coming. It comes. By the way, I'm not saying that we need to create as much suffering and turmoil for our kids and ourselves. That's not it. But at the same time, we shouldn't avoid it. We shouldn't be surprised when it comes. We should not be surprised when cancer comes. We should not be surprised when our kids are rebelling against us. It will come because that's the path towards glory. It will come to you. Yes, it will come to you. Now listen to this, verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. Can you repeat that with me? It is for those, together, for whom it has been prepared. Now, you know something? This is just one of those throwaway verses. Okay, he's basically saying no. Let's go on to the next verse. But you know, it's funny, because once you think about the neglected verses, they have such tremendous impact on if you really, really think about it. Now, what is Jesus saying? Think about this. Think about you. It's so easy just to move on. Think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that there is this big throne, and that belongs to Jesus. But there is this seat to the right and to the left. Now, if I'm using imagery from uh, Revelation chapter 2, you can call that seat a throne, Okay. Been prepared, for whom it's been prepared. Now, if I use imagery from Ephesians chapter 1, I can say it was prepared long time ago, even before you were born. Now, now stay with me. There is a throne to the right and to the left, and they, they're the reserved for certain people. And it was reserved before the foundation of the world was even created. So, James and John, there is a place in this throne room where you have a throne too. It has your name on it. Now, if that's true for James and John, isn't this true for you? When was the last time you thought about that? When was the last time you looked at this verse and you, you're like, wow, that's my place. I got a place. I got a place in the throne room by grace. That, that's where you're headed. Now, you, you got you to gotta feel happy about that. Am I the only one who feels happy about that? Think about that. There's a throne for you, for you. Okay, now let's, mush, let's, let's move a little, a little further. Now, it seems like, because Jesus didn't say, he didn't say, listen, if you work harder than Peter, you can actually beat him out and get his throne. He didn't say that, right? So basically, you have a throne. You're not competing with the people to your left or to your right. All you're doing is living to the best of your ability to fulfill your calling. And by God's grace, he'll give you that throne. You don't have to compete with anyone else. You just have to be faithful to fulfill your calling. Am I, am I preaching yet? I don't know about you, but I feel a lot of freedom because pastors, you know, are kind of competitive, right? And Pastor Calvin already has this crown of white hair, you know, on me, you know? I mean, right? We're competitive. He's not here, so we can make fun of him all we want. You don't have to compete. You just have to do the best that you can in your calling. By God's grace, he has that throne already prepared for you. Okay, let's keep on moving. But that is such an awesome point. I, I love that point. Um, I love that point. By the way, to let you know that I love that point. Okay, let's move on. 
41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Uh, by the way, imagine how Peter's feeling, right? Because whenever they would have like a private meeting away from the twelve, only three of the twelve, it was always the same people. And of the three, who was always the first? Peter, right? Peter was always the first. And when there was something to be said from the group, who was always the first to say something? Peter. And when Jesus talked to the disciples and said, who do people say I am? Who is the first to speak out? Peter. And what did he say? You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to you, I give the keys of the kingdom. Peter is alpha dog. Right? How do you think Peter is feeling? You knew that, right? throne on the right side was mine how dare you stab me in the back and edge me out now all of them were feeling that but i think peter probably felt it the worst right and jesus called them to him and said to them now i just i just want to point this out. i just want to point this out because i'm an asian american man i think in my culture jesus you don't you don't actually bring the issue with the two into the wide open with the 12. No. You call Peter aside and you say, Peter, do you know what James and John just did? You, right? Okay, my, my point here is, isn't that refreshing how Jesus deals with conflict resolution? He just brings it out in the open. Let's just talk about realities, okay? This is what happened. And let me just talk to all of you because all of you have this in your heart. I just, I just love how open Jesus is in dealing with conflict. He just goes right to the person, actually to the persons. He says, you know, I just want to stop right there. Why don't you guys repeat, you know, with me. You know. Imagine Jesus saying to you guys, you know. And I know you know. When I say you know, I know you know. You know how the world works. You know, you know how, what it's like in your, in your classes, you know, the competitive nature, the status orientation. You know what it's like at work. You know what it's like at work. I don't have to even talk about it much. You just already know. You know what it's like in your family, like wanting to be the favored son, you know. You know what it's like, status orientation, getting ahead of other people. You know that those who considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Gosh, that was so good. I'm just going to repeat that. But it shall not be so among you. Oh, that was so good. I'm going to say it one more time. But it is not going to happen here. Not with you guys. Not in my kingdom. Not in Jesus' kingdom. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be, what's that word? Say it with me. Slave. Slave. Now, this often gets lost. Okay, there's, there's, dual mean, there's multiple meanings when Jesus gives this text. But a lot of this gets lost. Just the word slave. Because an ancient person hearing this 
would be offended. And so man, we read this, and we're like, we're not offended. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, slave, right, good. Slave works hard, right? But an ancient person in a very status-oriented culture would be offended at this. And I don't want that to leave you. All right, let, let, me, give you, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Okay. Um, okay. In the Roman world, it was, there was a, gr- it was a great hierarchy, yeah? A lot of status orientation. Maybe we can relate to that. Like, uh, you know, in, in, in Chinese culture, they have words for not just aunties, but the ordering of auntie, right? Like in the Lisu Mountains, the first auntie is like, the name is auntie number one. And the second would be like auntie number two. And I think they actually use one and two. So, you know, my name is actually number one, right? Now, in Roman culture, it wasn't too different. At the very, very top of the pecking order was, you know, was, well, of course, it was Caesar, right? But under Caesar were 600 senators. And under the 600 senators were um, equestrians. That's right. They, they were the Romans with, uh, with horses that can be used for military purposes. And under the equestrians were the wealthy citizens. And under the wealthy citizens were the Romans with special honors. Now this, you're thinking, okay, that's what, like the top 50? This was the top 2%. Top 2%. Now, under the two was the 98, and they were called the rabble. And among the rabble, in the top of the rabble, you had the Roman citizens. And then under them, you had the freedmen. Who's at the very last, the very bottom, who qualifies alone to wash disgusting feet after they've hiked for miles and miles? They were who? The slaves. Don't... Disregard the impact of that word, slave, when Jesus brings us up. That's offensive. And so they had value back then in your social class. And nowadays, we also bring value to the things around us, sure, social class. But we have a way, just in human nature, of getting our value just through status symbols in our lives. Now, I'm going to embarrass someone, but I have a really good relationship with him, so I can do this. Matt. <laughs> Matt, would you, would you please stand up here? Okay, it'll be quick. Not painless, but it'll be quick. Okay. I recently discovered that there is a status symbol around Matt that could be, uh, that could find its roots back to uh, high school, junior year. Whoa, whoa. You, right now before you, are seeing the prom king in the junior class of 2000, I don't don't know what year that was, right? Yes, can we give a hand for the prom king? He is prom king! Woo! I didn't know that, you never told me that. Yeah, you forgot. Oh, yeah, you forgot. But, here, but here's the thing. When you're voted prom king, you know, that can be a status symbol, right? Now, you can get a lot of your value and worth in a person in that status symbol of being prom king, right? Now, imagine Jesus coming to Matt and saying, Matt, if you would be great, you must be the dork in the library with no friends, 
Okay. Now, on a gut level, that's rather offensive. I put my value in this thing. I put my, my, uh, my worth in this status symbol. You're telling me I need to be like the dork in the library with no friends. I'm sorry, that's a little bit offensive, Jesus. Thank you, Matt. That was great. Wonderful. Now, now Ernie, can you, can you stand up? <laughs> Ernie is wise. He won't stand up. Now, Ernie is a worship leader, right? This is his role, right? And one of the reasons that he was chosen as worship leader is because he has the voice of an angel, right? He's got a beautiful voice. Now, it's easy for someone like Ernie to put their value and their worth in my voice. And imagine Jesus coming to Ernie and saying, Ernie, to be great, you must be like... Who's that guy on American Idol? Who is that? (laughs) William Hung, that's right. (laughs) William Hung. William Hung. Okay, and, no, that's a little bit offensive. That, that, it's a little bit offensive, right? No, no, okay, let me break it down to you. Here's my point. Here's my point. What do the slave and the dork in the library with no friends and William Hung have in common? What they have in common is that they cannot find their worth in their status symbol because they have no status symbol. They're at the very, very bottom. They, they, they cannot find their... St- And a lot of us are finding our worth in different things. Some of us, it's like friends, the amount of friends that we have, the deep connections we have, how many friends we have, right? And we find our worth, and Jesus is like, be like the loser who has no friends. Or for some of us, our worth is like, it's it's at arriving at a certain place. If I am like 40 or something like that, and have a steady career, I'm, I'm married, I have kids, I have a big house, then I've arrived. And Jesus is like, you know who you should be like? You should be like the homeless man who has no house, doesn't know where his meal is going to come. And he's not married, but he has kids, and he's never met the kids. That is offensive. What? But, but what is Jesus saying? He's saying, be like them, think like them, in that you cannot associate your status through a symbol, through a title, through the size of your house, through your career, through your corner office, through your titles. Don't find your value in there. Well, then you kind of go, where am I supposed to find my value? Where am I supposed to find my worth? If it can't be in my gifts and the things I can do and the titles and how many people respect me. And Jesus is like, through all the scriptures, Jesus is like, you can only find it in one source. The unconditional love of God. God who loves you regardless of how useful you are. God who loves you regardless of your title. God who loves you regardless of how big your house is or your marital status or how many kids you have. God who loves you and finds worth in you because he created you aside from how useful you are to him oh well then that allows me to be small in my own eyes yes yes Jesus is saying be small in your own eyes be small in your own eyes so first I think Jesus is kind of saying you got to think like a slave a slave cannot get their worth through their status symbol because they have none they're small in their own eyes but a slave also does something else Don't just think like a slave, but act like a slave. Act like a slave. Act like a slave. Humility is not just thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less often. Why? Because you're thinking of other people more often. That's what slaves do. Okay, let me put it this way. 
Let's say in your career, you have status and you're a boss. Well, a Gentile Lord who's great, who's boss, says, my title as boss is for me. But a slave who's boss says, no, my title as boss is to serve other people. It's to serve my employees. It's to build them up. It's to bring the best out of them. That's why God made me boss, to serve. I am leveraging my gifts for other people. I'm not leveraging my gifts and my resources and my status symbols for me. I'm leveraging those gifts entirely for other people because I'm other people focused. That's what slaves do. Some of you um, have a bigger house. Well, a Gentile Lord who is great would say, that bigger house is for me, for my comforts. It's for my status. It's just something about my greatness. And then, but the slave who owns a big house doesn't say that. They say, that house is for hosting basic. Oh, you like how I did that? It was kind of shameless. Hosting basic. You know why? Because in the fall, we're looking for homes to house the host basics. A shameless plug right there. I I could go on. Titles, career, giftings, your status, the amount of friends you have, all these things that you find your worth in, and Jesus is like, no, let it go. Look at it different. Those were given to you so you can leverage it for other people. It's not for you. You you make way more money than the starving person in Africa. The little kid is going to die tonight. Your money is not for you. I gave it to you so you can leverage it for other people. Now listen, it might sound like I'm coming down hard on you guys. Uh, actually, I want to I read that. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. Whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. Now, now listen, it, it might sound like I'm coming down hard on you guys, like I'm saying, hey, you guys are not doing enough, you guys aren't serving enough. I actually don't think that's necessarily true. I actually think that one of the hallmarks of our church at Christian Layman Church is that you guys are very servant-hearted. I, I'm not actually coming down on you on this one. I'm actually saying, you guys inspire me. I'll give you an example of this one. I was uh, in the car with my friend, and this friend, um, uh, her and her husband uh, work tremendously, do all these wonderful things for the church. And I said to this person, I said, you know something, I was building this person up. You and your husband are such a powerhouse couple in our church. You guys give and serve and love and give. You guys inspire me. You know what she said to me? She looked at me, and she said, and you married Raina, and Raina is one of the most amazing servants I've ever seen, and she gives, and she loves, and she serves, and I'm thinking, well, hold it. I was saying you too, and you were saying her. I'm like, I speak Asian. I know what this means. You're saying that I'm not very servant-hearted, and the, you know, the, the truth is, are you, I, I'm not, but I'm learning from you guys. You guys inspire me. You really do. I'll give you an example of this. Um, there was a time, and I don't know how I got this reputation, but for some reason, Raina thought of me as not being very handy. 
Again, I don't, where, did, where did she get that? Where, where did she come up with these things? You know? She just thought I wasn't very handy. And so we bought a new house in, in Alameda, and uh, we're very, very excited. I'm like, this is my time to prove that I'm handy. I am handy. And so we had all these things that needed fixing because we just moved in. So we didn't have any running water into the house. I, we might have had one, one toilet that worked, but there was no running water in the kitchen. There was no running water uh, like upstairs. It was kind of a disaster and very inconvenient for us. So I'm like, this is my great chance. And so, you know, I set out like to do stuff like after work and after like a week, I think it was settled. I didn't fix anything. I didn't fix anything. And Raina concluded that she was right that I'm not handy because I'm not. But you know what you guys did? You guys sent nine men to our house. It was a period of two days. And you guys fixed my toilet. You guys put the uh, garbage disposal in the kitchen. We got running water in there. You guys fixed the, um, the metal pipe that comes out of the bathroom thingy. I don't even know what to call it because I'm not very handy, right? And the, the, the toilets, the sink, you guys replaced the sink. I was amazed. Some of you guys kept coming back. And one of you guys, we couldn't, he just kept coming back. We're like, stop coming already. We're like, we're going on vacation. He's like, well, I'm going to come back and check your pipes. I'm like, really? You guys were amazing. You guys, and I, I use this. I talked to my kids. I said, you guys, do you guys see these nine guys who fixed up our house? That's what our church is like. Our church is filled with these men who love to serve. And they got these gifts, not so they can be just called handy, but they got these gifts so they can leverage it on us. And look how they blessed us. We have running water in the house, you know? Amazing. And I said to those guys, I will never forget what you guys did. Because this is a bit of a snapshot of who we are and who we're called to be. And you guys are doing great in this. And I would say, keep on going. Keep on going. Give your life. Know your unique gifts and serve and give and give. And sometimes it feels like, man, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. Yeah, that is the path towards glory. That is the path towards glory. Uh, this one more, one more story. I, I, I love this story. This is, a, this is a, with Ron Jang. Uh, I, I caught this story recently. He was, uh, Rain, Ron Jang is on our set up and strike team. So they, they come up really early here. They set up the, the screens. They set up this screen. You know, they're, they're, they're really just servant-hearted people. And Ron one time, uh, he, was, uh, he was setting up this screen. And you guys see it's pretty heavy and there's this really heavy base. And so he's carrying it with his son. And his son is David. His, David's like um, 11 like 11 years old. And so he's carrying it. Ron's on one side and, and, you know, David's on the other side. And they came early so they could work together. And they're putting it here and there's their silence. And all of a sudden Ron says, son, one day this empire will all be yours. <laughs> and, and his son, I'm not kidding you, his face was like, okay, dad. <laughs> that was it. And I was looking at that. I was like, that is such a great story of who we are. Like, for, on one level, he's mentoring his son, but he's mentoring his son and serving the church and doing a thankless service, coming here early in the morning 
Because that is the road towards glory. It's service. It's not about us like, oh yeah, my, morning is, my Sunday mornings are for me to sleep in. No, my Sunday mornings are to give to other people. It's about other people. I'm leveraging that gift for other people. And you know, okay, the, it's, he was being sarcastic. This empire will all be yours. But actually, that is the empire that we're passing on, isn't it? It is a road towards glory, paved with suffering and servanthood. Give your life, give your life, give your life, because that is the path towards greatness. One last verse, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I just want to point out that in this passage, Jesus taught humility, suffering, and servanthood, being small in your own eyes. He taught it, but not only did he teach it, but he modeled it. How did he model it? Jesus was tormented to death. They spat on him. They insulted him. They ripped out his beard. They put nails on his hands, and he took it, and he poured out his life. There is no greater sacrifice than what Jesus did on the cross, and he modeled it to us, but not only did he model it to us, but what did he do? By Jesus dying on the cross, he took the penalty for our sins. He died in our place. And so to the degree that we know that, we're forgiven by his sacrifice. All our sins are forgiven. We're melted. And we respond by saying, all I can offer you, God, is all of me. All of me to be small. All of me to serve. All of me to love on your people. That is my response to what you did for me. So it's the teaching of Christ. Not just that, it's the modeling of Christ. But not just that, it's the person who knows Jesus as his Savior, blown away by that and saying, take my life. I surrender to your vision of being great. And Jesus says, yes, that greatness is through suffering and servanthood. That's the race you're called to run. So how can you leverage your unique gifts? Take the lowest place and say, my life is about giving and serving just as Jesus did. Let's all rise. Lord, we're captured by this vision of greatness Jesus says, you want to be great, and I I think naturally we say, yeah, absolutely, I want to be important. And Jesus says to us that we must be servant and be slave of all. Lord, this is foreign to us, and at the same time, it's not. Help us, Lord, to just be blown away by your grace, your sacrifice on the cross, and just to say, okay, then I'm going to respond by being like you. I'm going to give my life away. I'm going to leverage my gifts, not for status symbols for me, but to leverage every resource, every status symbol to serve. Lord, let us be like you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray.